All right. Um, good uh, afternoon, everyone, and welcome to season two, episode one of the Home Healthcare Today show. It's 2022, believe it or not, right? And we are so pleased to have on our uh, first episode of the new year, U.S. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell as our guest. We're going to talk about a number of uh, important factors as related to senior care, health, and wellness. So, Well, you know, you don't really understand uh, how broken the system is or how challenging or difficult it is until you have somebody that you love. Yes. Uh, that needs help. I'm luckier than 99 and nine-tenths of the people in this country, and I know it every single day. Yes. But when my husband, John, retired and uh, had some immediate health issues, yes. uh, as a matter of fact, the doctor said to me he may have finished his life's work and could die this weekend. Wow. It, it, became, it began a journey that so many other people have had to take in this country. Yes. I'm now living it with um, my mother as well. But you, you, you fight with your private insurance and Medicare as to who's responsible to pay for what. And yes. that's just the beginning. Um, you know, 90 days and you're done. Except nobody gets sick for just 90 days. No, no. And then you respect and want to give everybody the dignity and the independence that they need but sometimes they need a helping hand yes. and how do you find that person to give a helping hand i was lucky enough because i've worked all my life and my husband had worked all of his life that we could afford to pay someone a decent wage to help out a few hours because it's not covered by either insurance or Medicare, but then how do you find that person? Yes. And it's, um, it was a journey that Absolutely. was scary. And it made me personally uh, very dedicated to trying to make sure that we do something about the broken, fragmented long term healthcare system in this country. We have the opportunity to observe National Glaucoma Awareness Month. Today, we are joined by Dr. Walt Kurkowski of the Michigan Eye Care Institute. Glaucoma is a disease that affects the optic nerve. The optic nerve in the back of the eye is like a, a big fine cable with millions of different fibers that actually transmit what we see to the brain. Yes. And glaucoma is a collective term, just like how arthritis is a collective term yes. for that disease. Mm -hmm. And there's many things that we believe can cause it. Okay. The one thing that we're finding out is that anybody over 60, this is one of the most common causes of blindness in the world. And it's one of those things that yes. can be early um, detected Good. and can Good. be treated yes. and up to 95% of the time stabilized. Wonderful, wonderful. This is really good news and it's encouraging. Doc, tell me about Michigan Eye Care Institute, right? Yes. You know, I you know, I got a little bit about your background with uh, the education at Michigan State and falling in love with ophthalmology, walking in your dad's footsteps there. But this, this place here, Michigan Eye Care Institute, 
history, mission, and what's your vision for patients here in Southeast Michigan? Vision? I hope to be with our group the best care provider of all of our patients. Yes, sir. And to become better and better for them so they feel loved, yes. respected, and cared for to the best of our ability. That's it. Good deal. Just want to do better, be the best. This is good. As I walked through, I met some of your distinguished colleagues out there, some of the practicing um, clinicians, and then the office staff. So tell us about the team. Yes, we have an incredible team. Mm -hmm. And we have our CEO, Destiny Han, who you met, yes. who is just an incredible, very multifactorial, a very blessed uh, person yes. with being able to handle the staff, Absolutely. along with helping us with the move from other offices to new offices, yeah. and also help to keep being the glue to keep yes. everybody working together and functioning and, and basically keeping the vision of taking great care of the patient. Awesome, awesome. That's what we love to hear. Sure, you know, um, you mentioned in the introduction the yes, um, $90 million iBio building. Yes, sir. It's a state-of-the-art research facility. Uh, but what we did is we decided that we were not going to do all types of research there. We were going to focus our efforts on the types of diseases that most affect and impacts Detroiters. Yes, sir. So we're talking about things like cardiovascular disease, obesity, uh, things that really Detroit is having problems with. Yes. Real health disparity issues for Detroiters. Yes, sir. And we, we started recruiting faculty to study and to take care of patients in these areas, to try to investigate ways to try to um, impact, positively impact the, the treatment uh, uh, of these uh, diseases. Yes, and, and we do it by, by um, recruiting faculty that have different skill sets. You know, for example, in obesity, it's not just one type of of researcher that's going to no. get on so, you know you're talking about obesity has psychological um uh, uh, uh components to it, it has obviously yes. physiological components biochemical. Yeah. yes sir you know it's really very very uh sociological it, yes it's, it's very broad and in order to really um uh, impact it you know you need people who approach it from different vantage points Yes, sir. And, and work together. And so that's what we've been doing. And I think Detroiters are the direct beneficiary of that. For each and every person to know their heart health status. So start with yourself, I often say. You know, we want to do for others, we want to help others, but start with yourself. Um, you know, we have a philosophy here at Women Heart um, because so many women only know how to take care of other people. True. Don't know how to focus on themselves. Yes. Um, I like very much the notion of um, what you what we often hear on airplanes when we fly, which is put your mask on first. <laughs> yeah. Help other so so that you can help other people. Yes, ma'am. That's really critical in heart health as well. Focus on yourself. Know what your risk is. Take care of yourself so that you can be here for others for the long haul. I am joined here with uh, Maria Carr of the American Heart Association's Detroit chapter. In terms of prevention, uh, prevention and interventions, how does American Heart Association Detroit best assess and evaluate its efficacy in helping women in our region? 
and particularly women of color. Yeah, of course. Yes. So last year for the Go Right for Women campaign, they actually used different ways to figure out how they can get that message across. Because yes. um, we do find that, unfortunately, women of color, they do tend to have higher risk than other women yes. um, due to different backgrounds and things of that nature. But we try to find ways to spread that message. We have different initiatives in place. We have our check change control, okay. where we go to different organizations, yes. share how they can get their blood pressure checked. Mm. Um, knowing your numbers, because if you don't know, how do you know if you need to change your diet or if you need to change some sort of physical activity and incorporate that into your routine? Yes. Um, the biggest thing too is figuring out how to finding now that sodium is a, plays a big role. Yes. How can you cut that out and have healthy amounts? Yes. Um, so that's one of the messagings that we've been sharing um, when we do different webinars with um, people in the community. Yes. And we do those through different, um, we have our blood pressure, hypertension summits, mm -hmm. our check change control, and we work with different organizations to help spread that message. This is good because it begins to hopefully demystify uh, some of those notions and the mindsets that people have around, well, if it's hereditary, then I can't manage it or I can't control it. But we do know that there are some modifiables, right, when we start to think about heredity and certainly diet and exercise and, and stress management. Those are a few, right? Just a few of those uh, modifiables. So very good. We have the honor for this episode to be guests in the office of Kidney Michigan. Kidney Michigan's lead doctor, uh, internal medicine doctor and nephrologist is Dr. Claudia Zaharik. Discussing COVID, hopefully we're on the the downturn of the uh, virus two years later. What did you see, doctor, over the last couple of years uh, in view of COVID and its impact on patients and, and kidney health? Well, I, I think when all this started, it was it was a scary situation for everybody. Yes. For everybody in the office, for everybody that works in the hospital, for patients, they were um, very, very scared. Um, my main goal at that time was to remain open. Yes. Patients still needed care. Yes. So we took the precautions. You see, we have yes. uh, shields. We, yes. we protected ourselves. Um, it, it was, even though it was a very difficult time, I, I do remember with a lot of fond memories what patients would bring me. When it was really hard to find um, hand sanitizer. I had yes. patients bringing me bags of hand sanitizer to protect me. Yes. Um, I had patients bringing me handmade masks. Yes. Um, it was really touching. Definitely. Um, a lot of patients, we have very cl close communication with my patients, so basically they have access to me, mm. uh, I would say almost 24-7. Sure. Uh, and several times I got through the night or during the, e the weekends, um, call saying they can't get a hold of their doctor, they need insulin, they are running out of medicines and they have nowhere to go. Yes. And so my goal was to remain open, be available to them. Um, we, we never really closed. Yes. I continue seeing my patients in the hospital. Um, the greatest impact that I saw during COVID for the majority of patients in the hospital is, is the isolation. I think that that was extremely detrimental for the mental health. Yes. Um, and so we made, you know, you, you met my nurse practitioners. I did, um, yes indeed, and, uh, yes. And we made a point of 
always going to visit our patients in the hospital. Mm -hmm. We never stop. Today, uh, we have the pleasure of being guests uh, in the office and studio of Angela T. Moore, Empowerment Coach. So today, we're going to have a very thorough conversation with Angela about what can or what should a home health care agency do to assist homebound patients in living a more integrated, um, healthier life? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely am a big, a big supporter of it, and I think That's it's necessary. Absolutely. It's essential because there are those individuals that cannot leave their home. Yes. And to be able to provide care within someone's home, you're providing one, um, oftentimes you're providing care within someone's safe space. Yes, indeed. Um, because people oftentimes mm-hmm. when they are, um, if they're either ill or they've suffered a disability, um, maybe due to injury or because they've had a disability for their, li- their life, mm-hmm. um, and their entire life, Yes. Uh, to be able to bring service and support to where they feel comfort- most comfortable, yes. I think it's really great. Absolutely. And one of the things that I actually do uh, for individuals that aren't homebound but yes. find themselves at home a lot yes. is I try to teach you how you can integrate healthy, um, healthy activities throughout your workday mm-hmm. in your home space. Uh-huh. You know, so creating a little workout area. Uh-huh. Even if you can't get up and you're, and you're sedentary and you have to be in a chair, you can do exercises in your chair. Sure, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. this is good, this is really good, yes. We have the distinct pleasure and opportunity to be joined today with the mayor of Hamtramck, Michigan, Mayor Amir Ghalib. You know, as a, a healthcare professional, I always uh, have, you know, dreams that Hamtram could host some major healthcare facilities mm. and specialties. Uh, because when we work in the clinic, we have difficulties finding uh, nearby places okay. for specialists and for uh, you know to send people there. And like I mentioned to you, yes. uh, to improve the wellness and the health of the people we have to have uh, um, you know regular screening tests for them yes. and that's difficult for some of them because they have to to drive far yes and transportation is an issue especially for those newcomers yes. uh, immigrants like i told you so if we have those major uh health facilities in hamtramck yes. they would have uh, they can walk there right and they will keep up with their appointments absolutely and uh, we have hope that um, to get uh, a better home health care services like I told you we have a lot of people who are bedridden at home yes and they don't speak English they need better services when you go to their house if if, you know if someone speak their language that would be a plus okay Uh, so that's another thing so uh, home health care services Availability and access to them is another thing. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Home Health Care Today Show. It is National Nurses Month. And yes, we have the pleasure of speaking today with Dr. Rash. That's thinking community health-wise. Yes, it is. And if you think community health-wise, this person may not need home health, but they're going to need these kinds of services. True. Some of those may be public health or other, other kinds. So it's that collaborative piece. Yes, it is. And then if you know that, then when there are task forces, maybe it's statewide, maybe it's just right there in the community, 
And if you are a citizen of the state or that community and you're a nurse, you can give that input and say, this is important and I need to be at the table Absolutely. or a nurse needs to be at the table because we're going to contribute this perspective. So then we have this more seamless Continual kind care. of thing. And you know, when you think about that, mm -hmm. so when I was a public health nurse, we went to schools. Some schools had public, had school nurses, yep. some didn't. Uh -huh. We went to uh, um, nursing homes. Yes. We certified for Medicare and Medicaid care in the nursing home. The nurse, the public health nurse did that. They do different things like that now, but there are opportunities for all nurses to do it. And I know that some hospitals are doing something really interesting in terms of home health. Um, and this has saved uh, rural access hospitals in some places. So you have somebody who's airlifted out of a rural area to yes. go to the city because they have the nurses who know it and the units who know it. Yes. There are places that have done something progressive where rather than airlifting that person out, the nurse in this critical in a, in a critical care unit or coronary care unit or whatever, they may have an assignment that isn't providing care for that shift duty. They're connected to a nurse in a rural access area yes. that has intensive care, but it's not specialty driven. Yes. So they'll have cardiac, they'll have diabetes or whatever, and they have nurses that are connected with them. They can actually see the patient and talk with the nurse directly because these nurses know how to care. They know how to give the technical care, but they may need a collaborator on thinking through about this area because they're not always dealing with a coronary care patient. So when we think about all of that kind of stuff and what is that nursing can do, those are things that you can do. And if you have those experiences, then you can speak up in your community okay. and say, these are things that we can do as nurses or that physicians can do, but you're not getting it. You know, that other thing. And then I have to tell you a funny story okay. as a public health nurse. <laughs> all right. Our very special guest today is Dr. Maylon Hahn. Dr. Hahn. Well, there's a lot to think about, but you know, in the book, I do go through a lot of things that you can do to optimize the air within the home. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's some obvious things and some not obvious things. So right. um, radon is actually a huge cause of lung cancer throughout the country. So if your home has never been checked for radon, you can check with your local um, you know, county office on, on how to do that, but but it's there's many there's kits that you can do in the home and send away and get checked, but that's one thing every home should be checked for radon. Uh, there are um, volatile organic chemicals mm -hmm. are um, compounds that are found in just about everything um, that can um, cause lung irritation and lung inflammation. And there are some strategies to try to reduce the use of VOCs in the home. That includes like if you have to paint, use low VOC paint, trying to find more env environmentally friendly um, cleaning products to use in the home. If you have to install, you know, non-carpeted services are better, but if you have to install carpet, you can actually have, ask them to be um, de um, aired out before they're installed in the home. Uh, some patients I'll even recommend getting um, 
uh, HEPA air filters. We all did this a bit more during the pandemic. We, I have one in our bedroom at least, where I can kind yes. of keep an eye on what kind of the, what the air quality is like, at least where you know where we probably spend the most of our time, which is where we sleep. Yes. But there are actually other things in the home that can um, be harmful. Um, gas stoves even, get cooking yes. stove. I have a gas stove. Um, I try to always hit the exhaust fan when I'm running my gas stove. Uh, wood burning stoves actually, unfortunately, are a huge source of indoor air pollution, probably worse than anything else I've just mentioned. Um, there are newer EPA friendly, uh, you know, that meets some of the higher newer EPA standards. So if possible, if you have one, you rely on one, try to move to one of these cleaner burning units. But honestly, even the cleaner burning units, even more optimal would be not to use one at all. But I get it. I I had a wood burning stove in the home I grew up in, so I, I understand some people still need it. So those are just some common things I ask people to think about. Industry leader, Mrs. Shelley Sarn of Bright Star Care. Thank you. So yes. it was an initiative that we um, began in late 2019, and we were ready to begin the study right after COVID had started. So very difficult for an organization, not knowing what the world was going to look like, to yes. go invest six figures into a study. Um, yes. But Avalier is the most recognized kind of healthcare analysis um, organization. They have a relationship with CMS where they have access to all of the Medicare um, A and B claims data. Yes. And so we were able to feed the customers we paid care of so they could do the analysis. They own the analysis. We couldn't influence it. They had to be the one to publish the study. So yes. it is, you know, completely, you know, well vetted. Um, and they looked at who were the similar demographic individuals with the same health diagnoses and how did they fare in terms of total cost per member per, yes. per, per senior um, in uh, receiving Bright Star Care versus those that didn't have Bright Star Care. And on average, across 30 different healthcare um, diagnoses, we saved $13,000 by wow. being part of the care equation and up to $30,000, uh, depending on what the care, uh, what, what the healthcare issue was uh, and yes. underlying diagnosis was. And so we believe this is critical. We think it will be critical as well for Medicare Advantage to open doors that not all brands are created equal. Many are transactional and they yes. are not bending your cost curve. No. We are relational. We are high quality. We are investing a lot in joint commission accreditation. We're investing a lot in nurse oversight. What we get as a quality of life for our families with not having to go to the hospital, not having to call an ambulance, not having to go into a skilled nursing facility because we're That's proactive in nature is great for the, for the family, great for the care recipient, but it also saves the plans and saves CMS. Yes. And so we have to be able to work on both sides of the equation, both care delivery and payer. Um, and this study is really important to continue the dialogue around allowing us to be the high quality provider for the families, but somebody ultimately has to pay for it and pay appropriately to allow quality to occur. Healthy Vision Month, here in the month of July, we have the honor of speaking with the uh, founder and CEO of eyeglasses.com, Mr. Mark Agnew. Now, this is where I really get passionate about the business I'm in because at its heart, eye, eyeglasses is a, um, is a service business. 
does. And you can really change someone's life with with a pair of eyeglasses, and, and yes. it's it's uh, it's amazing. Yes. Um, and it's not just about eyeglasses, but it's it's about vision. Yes. Um, if a person who has compromised vision is very limited in how they can interact with the world. Mm, true. So um, we, um, for every sale that we make, we donate a pair of eyeglasses uh, to people in countries who who don't have eyeglasses. So imagine uh, a person who's uh, uh, working in a agricultural business in yes. South America and they can't see true yes um yes. They can't see so they have trouble doing their job they're more prone to accidents um and hazards on the job and so uh i i look to set up programs that are uh linked with my business because i yes. feel that if i can link my business to helping then I'm going to get the come around. Yes, you will. Go around and the come around. And sure. uh, I'm a very big believer in in the karmic, uh, you know, rubber band. That's right. So I do that on a on an eyeglasses basis, and then I also make a uh, a donation every day to make a blind person see again. Wow. Um, now, how does that work? Well, yes. India where there's uh there's uh over 10 million people who have total blindness from cataracts yes uh, and that happens because they don't have access to a diverse food supply uh, that can be cured with a 30 dollars cataract surgery wow uh so far i've done almost 2,000 surgeries uh, which uh, which means 2,000 people who were the ultimate homebounds because they they can't they can't True. really do anything they're being they're, they're a drain on society yes um, they're completely shut in and it's something I'm not able to do in the United States because the same surgery the exact same surgery the same equipment cost three thousand dollars per eye yes so i'm very passionate about that it is world stroke day october 29th 2022 we have the distinct honor and pleasure today to have dr sunil chef what could caregivers do to be of greater support yeah it's great it's a great question obviously a very very important population too yes. i think um for patients who have had a stroke uh, recently and they're, they're, they have disability because of that, I think a few things to, to be mindful of is one is trying to trying to move, trying to use your brain, trying to use the functions that you've lost. Yes. Especially in the early months after uh, you've suffered the stroke, it's very important for long-term recovery. So uh, the more effort you're putting in at the beginning, uh, the better you'll do in, in the long run. So, so yeah. being, being supportive, being encouraging, um, and working through uh, is important. I think the other thing 
that goes along with that is is trying to be very positive mm-hmm. you know as, as we started in the beginning of the segment this is changing who you are as a person it, it can be incredibly depressing yes it really affect your mood it can affect the mood of everyone around you mm-hmm. but trying to be trying to be as positive as you can at least to the extent that you are you're able to participate in therapy and and work uh, towards a recovery i think is is very very important uh, towards having ultimately as good of an outcome as possible. Beautiful. The other thing to think about again is, is stroke can recur. And so I think if 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 there are new symptoms that are coming to be a vigilant for the same things that we were just talking about earlier, yes. that the fast acronym because because it, it can it can come back. Absolutely. These are things that we that we may want to treat uh, or may be able to to help with um, when they when they come back. We have the distinct uh, pleasure and honor today to have on our show Dr. Philip Levy. You know, yeah. first and foremost, we're lucky that we live in a state that yeah. uh, is forward thinking. So early on, yes. we were the first state and one of the only states that developed a racial disparities task force to try to understand why the brown and black communities were being disproportionately impacted by COVID. Yes. We also had people in leadership roles within that task force, myself and others included, who started to do innovative things and we found receptivity to new thinking, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when the pandemic hit, and and things started to change in the medical community kind of longed for the way things were before right yeah right? Uh-huh. So wanted this, let's just keep things the way they are and it'll be okay right. but the reality is that didn't work and it won't no. work right exactly. so people couldn't go to their doctor to get a covid test they couldn't go to the doctor to get their first vaccination people yep. had to use available community-based resources which worked very well high right. throughput testing locations and vaccination locations worked terrifically and yes. it made it convenient and easy for people to get that. You didn't need to make an appointment four weeks later <laughs> to get in. You sit in a waiting area for an hour. Yep. Yep. You get to the back of your doctor for 10 minutes because they're so busy charting on the computer. And then maybe you get some blood work ordered where you have to go to another location. And oh, then yeah. a month later, you finally get the result. I mean, that is archaic, right? <laughs> Very much so. In a system where I can get a package delivered that same day from Amazon, I'm still getting healthcare like it's, you know, the 1950s. Exactly. So how do we change that? The state really espoused this, took the vision that we had started at Wayne State, built it up as a Mm. pillar of that racial disparities task force, and is now looking for sustainability models going forward. And yes, the payers are on board. Why? Because the payers realize that they hold the coverage for many people who don't actually use services. True. Why don't they use services? They're not bad people, right? Nope. They're just nope. busy. Everybody's busy. We have jobs, yes. we have families, we have obligations. Absolutely. And healthcare and access to services, especially prevention services, hey. readily available where yes. you live, work, play, or pray, that's yep. a game changer. Yes, right? it is. Oh, I'm driving home. I just picked up dinner. Oh, why don't I stop by that mobile unit I see right there? No yep. appointment needed. Get my blood work done. Get my blood pressure screened. And then the team follows up with me. Why Absolutely. not? Why not? Why not? Absolutely. That, that is the question, Phil. But we're we're answering why not. There's no right. good reason, you know, and we are developing the future that we want and need for folks. Hey, Phil, wishing you the best holiday season for you and your family. And we really appreciate all of your contributions, what you and your team are doing for Detroiters. We we love you and appreciate it. 
Likewise, Clem, and, and happy Good. holidays to you and all your uh, listeners and viewers. And uh, I look forward to working with you for many years to come. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. <laughs>